Hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. Our guest on the show this time is New York Times bestselling author Charles Martin, who's just published a book with Thomas Nelson in the States called Son of Man, Retelling the Stories of Jesus. And I quote from the publicity, Charles Martin uses his storyteller's imagination to present the life of Jesus in a way that will engage your faith in new ways. Son of Man presents key moments from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and explores the lives of his followers in descriptive, novelistic ways. And it's fascinating. Uh, Charles is a New York Times best-selling author of around 17 novels. His work is available in 35 languages. He's been... Um, He's been made into a Hollywood movie, or at least one of his books has. So, uh, Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, You're a a man of... um, I found I've been investigating your blog and reading your blogs about the writing process, and I've had a a great time researching all of this. Can I ask you, though, what what do you think is the power of story? Well, let's just dive right into that. I'm 53. When I when I graduated college, um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, and I had no idea. All I knew was that I wanted to get married, and so Christy and I got engaged, and um, her, mercifully, her dad gave me permission to marry her, and I I got accepted into grad school, and so that grad school kind of became my get out of jail free card. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but whenever you say I'm going to grad school folks think you must know what you're doing because you have some plan. I didn't, but it was anyway, I ended up going to grad school. And so I spent, I got a master's and later a PhD, but I spent all of that time really studying why story, like why? I mean, there's something, and what I came to was this without giving you a whole bunch of academic stuff that I'm really not qualified to speak on anymore. And much of which I can't remember, but I do know this. We as people, I think, are hardwired to not only live in a story, but understand life via story, which is obviously why Jesus told stories. I mean, in my opinion, because he's, he's wanting people, he's wanting people to understand the truths and he knows that he knows us better than we know us. So he's speaking the truth in the way that we are pre-programmed or hardwired because he fashioned us to receive the story that way. Just one example. If you look at Look at Matthew 18. Jesus tells this beautiful story about the parable of the talents and the 10,000 talents and the 100 talents. And the. it's not a story about finances. It's a story about forgiveness. But everybody listening to him understands that the first wicked servant basically owed a bazillion dollars. And in, if he had 10,000 lifetimes, he could never repay it back. And then he did not forgive the second servant who basically owed him about eight months wages. And so everybody listening to Jesus knows, wow, he's talking about forgiveness. And now the, the bar for forgiveness has been raised. And so Jesus did that. I think, I mean, everywhere he went, he told stories. So what is the power of story? I think story, at least for me, now there may be people who are wired differently. Obviously, the Lord makes a lot of different types of folks. But with with regards to me, I see the world through story. I make sense of it through story. And I don't know how else I would if, if you were to take if you were to take story out of my, you know, my wheelhouse or my whatever. I'm not sure that I would be able to navigate life. I just I don't know how. Can stories heal us? Well, I don't know if stories can heal us because there's really only one healer. Uh, He tells us that when he walked the Israelites out of Egypt, they've been slaves for over 400 years. 
really they're, they're, they, they don't know anything other than slavery. And so they've been worshiping all of the Egyptian gods. They've forgotten the God of Yah- the, the God Yahweh, and they've forgotten how to worship him. And anyway, God brings them out into the desert and they're angry and they get to the water, bitter waters at Meribah and they're murmuring and complaining and they can't drink the water because it's bad or sour or something. And they're just thirsty and all they want to do is go back to Egypt. And, you know, they at least they say, at least we had, you know, stuff to eat back there. And it's, it's interesting. God tells Moses, throw a tree into the water. And it's the first time we see healing or salvation via a tree. And it, it, it purifies the water, heals the water. And God says to them, I am Jehovah Rapha, your healer. So it's interesting that the first name he gives himself, uh, he gives his name to Moses. I am in the, his, his, his covenantal name in Exodus, basically 34. But the first name he gives the slaves coming out of Egypt is I'm your healer. So do stories have the power to heal us? Well, there's really only one who has the power to heal us, but he may use stories to do that. How's mm-hmm. that? Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just throw these questions up there as I read your bio, and I've been reading your blog this morning. Um, I've been up. I've been up in the in the early hours of the morning doing research for this. Is writing? We'll get onto the book. We must. We must get onto the book in hand. But one more general question, if I may, is: Is writing a story easier uh, as a Christian because we have a bigger or a big story already? Do you think? Can we tap into Wow, that's God's, a great question. Can we tap into God's big story when we write our own stories? Well, there are probably two two questions there. One is it easier, and two, can we tap into the story that the Lord is telling? And and just because we can or we might the Lord allow, might allow us to tap into the story he's telling doesn't necessarily make it easier. I, I tell folks all the time, I think I sweat my books more than I write them because I'm fifty-three, I'm now in the twentieth third, 24th year of this thing I call a career. And if I, if Christy were sitting here, Christy's my wife, we've been married 30 years. If she were sitting here, she would tell you the thing I probably am good at is I'm just good at showing up. I mean, I've said this a bunch. Books don't write themselves. Every day I show up to an empty page or at least a half written page. And you, you, you have to put your fanny in the seat. I've talked to a lot of people. A lot of folks have, you know, said, hey, can we go to lunch? Can we get coffee? Can we do whatever? And they want to talk about this whole thing about wanting to be a writer. And most of them, 99.9% of them are enamored with what they think a writer's life is like. And they think a writer's life is doing stuff like this or going to signings where 5,000 people show up and your hand gets cramped because you sign so many books and you wear a tweed jacket and a cute little pipe and you you know sound like you know what you're talking about. None of that is been, has been true in my experience. of my life as a writer is me sitting alone in a room with my computer trying to figure out how to tell a story. And, and I love it. I'm not, I'm not complaining at all. I love it. I love the quiet. I love the process. I love getting lost in stories. Um, I would not say that it is easy. There are times when the words flow and it's, you know, three or four hours pass and, you know, uh, I, I don't look at the, the clock. And I mean, th- there are those moments where it's just a lot of fun. And then there are days and weeks, and I've even had months where I can't write a single word. And people call it writer's block. And I think it's worse than that. I don't know what it is. It's, But I've had it on two different occasions with two different books. And it's the only way I've been able to get through it is pray my way through it. And it's this gut-wrenching. I've never experienced anything like it. It It is, it is really hard. So I don't know that 
I don't know that I would say telling stories is easier because we have access with the Father and Jesus is our media. I don't I don't know. Was it easier for Paul to tell the gospel? Probably not, but he still did it. Was it easy for John to write his revelation? Well, he, he got boiled in oil before then, so maybe not. I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to those guys. I'm just saying that if, it, if ever were two guys were tapped into his story, it was the two of them, and I would not say their lives were necessarily easy. So I don't know. There are moments when I'm very grateful, and the words seem to roll out my fingers. And then there are times when they don't, and I honestly can't tell you if I've done anything different or what the difference is, I have no idea. I'm not sure I'll figure that one out. Personally, I would. I can't imagine John sitting down thinking about writing the book of Revelation. I mean, <laughs> I don't right. know how he did it. I don't know how he did I, it. I don't either. Quite remarkable. And you can you can hear it in his voice. He's trying to figure out how do I explain what I'm saying, and he has no idea. No, no, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, I'm going to come back and ask you a few more general questions at the end, and and your blog. Certainly, for anyone listening, uh, we'll we'll get I'll get you to give the details of your website at the end, please, because you have a, a blog which talks about and engages with the writing process, and and um, people will find that interesting as I did. Now, this book, we better get on to Son of Man. Now, uh, this is a compilation of stories from previous books. Am I am I correct? How how did they all come together? Because they surely do all come together as a collection in this yeah. book, don't they? Right, which is that was my response when I read it the first time. I thought, "Holy smokes, they actually do string together and they create do. a rather coherent story." But here's mm. what happened: I wrote two nonfiction books. I wrote uh, a book called "What If It's True," followed up by "They Turn the World Upside Down," and I really wrote them back to back. You all see them on the shelf as two separate books. For me, it's kind of one long book. But anyway, we broke it up. It's two stories, and it's really my walk with the Lord. What He's revealed to me. What you know, I just it's it's really me wrestling with Lord. If if this thing is really true, if your word is true, then it ought to shake some things loose in my life, and I ought to somehow be different. Same thing with they turn the world upside down. I got into Acts and I started looking at the lives of the apostles, and I thought to myself, my life does not look like theirs, and the, the I must be doing something wrong. So anyway, I wrote those two books, and in and in doing that, I got to places in stories, whether it's Bartimaeus at the gate in Jericho or the woman with the issue of blood in Capernaum, or obviously Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection, Mary Magdalene, whatever the story happened to be, I would try and tell it in my storyteller. I hate to use the word fictionalized fashion because I was trying to do anything but fictionalize it. I was trying to take scripture and use scripture to interpret scripture. Now, I, I, I am the first to admit, I, re I recognize wholeheartedly that there's this admonition and revelation that says it is really bad for anybody like me who comes along and tries to add anything to this word. So I'm, I feel like I'm walking with fear and trembling, trying to write the story with some color or some some interpretation from the whole of scripture that maybe the one paragraph in the gospel doesn't give us. So I don't know. That's the way that I approach it. And and so I ended up writing 25 or 30 of those stories. And they're maybe three or four pages a piece. I don't know, something like that. Well, after those two books came out, my publisher and I began getting emails saying, hey, we love these stories. Could you put them together in one volume? So eventually they came around and they said, hey, let's take the let's pull the stories, the narratives out, leave the teaching where it is 
and string them together and see what happens. And they sent me the manuscript and I, I read it and I thought to myself, you know, it's almost as if while I was writing, what if it's true? And they turned the world upside down. The Holy Spirit was writing, what if it's true? They turned the world upside down and son of man. And I had no idea. It really makes it really makes for a consistent story, at least in my opinion. Yes, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it, they do, they, and they read as a unity. And uh, I, I find the way you describe the ascension, the chapter on the ascension is particularly beautiful. Yeah. I think it was striking, so strikingly written. I was going to ask you, was it was it difficult? I suppose that might be the right the wrong word, but is it difficult for you, or was it difficult for you to reimagine the story of Jesus from a novelist's point of view? You know, I really wrestled with that. I um. I really did in my own way. I got quiet with the Lord and I said, Lord, how do I do this? How do I, how do I write this? I'm I, what I wanted to do. I, I want, I want to kind of try and get inside of the eyes of the guys who followed you as much as I am able in my finite human frailty. And I want to try and see you through their eyes. So you bring up the Ascension. Well, let's look at that for a minute. Jesus has res <laughs> Jesus the son of God, dead, crucified, buried, three days. All of a sudden, God the Father, through the power of the Spirit, rolls the stone away, taps his shoulder, his son on the shoulder and says, hey, it's time to get up, and raises his son, who gives death to death, and he walks out shining like the sun in all his glory. He's got the keys of death and Hades dangling on his belt. And then he spends the next 40 days with his disciples, his followers, he first reveals himself to a brokenhearted lady named Mary at the tomb, which I love it. I love that story. And then he comes and he presents himself to his brothers and his family and it says over 500 believers. Well, he's there for 40 days. Oh, and by the way, all Rome had to do to disprove the resurrection was haul out the dead prophet. Yeah, find the all body. they had to do, <laughs> find roll the away the stone, drag him out in the street and hang him up on the wall. That's all they had to do. They couldn't do it. Well, after 40 days, I think everybody that's following Jesus, the disciples, the believers, I think there are about 120 of them at this point, they're kind of giddy. And I feel like they feel like he's finally going to take on Rome and do the very thing they hoped he was going to do, which is liberate them in the way he they they think he will do it. Well, then they just go for a walk one day and they walk they walk across, they walk out of Jerusalem, the, the eastern side of Jerusalem. They walk down across the brook Kidron. They've done this hundreds of times. They walk through the garden where he prayed and sweated drops of blood and then up into the, the Mount of Olives. And they've been there countless times. This is not, this is not something new. They, this is a, going to a picnic. And in, in my book, Jesus was a, a lover and he was a toucher. And he was always, the kids were all, he was a jungle gym for kids. And they're always, he's always laughing and giggling and tickling them and chasing them. And, you know, he's, he's locking arm in arms with his buddies. And the reason I say that, do I know that for certain? No, but there are parts of our emotions, which are good and are pure and are right. When I was a young dad, my kids would run up to me. And prior to then, I was not a big lover of children, but my kids are born and they run up. And all I want to do is reach down, pick them up and, you know, snuggle them, get in their faces and that, is, that, didn't, that didn't originate with me. I didn't all of a sudden flip a switch and go, you know what? I'm going to become a lover of children now. It, that was So I think when I'm looking at the ascension and, and, and kind of wrestling with the Lord, Lord, how do I tell this story? I just kind of, I don't know. I felt the freedom, rightly or wrongly. I felt the freedom to try and 
tell that both through the emotions of the, the eyes of those watching him. And then maybe to some extent how he feels about us in terms of his love for us. But I think when those folks walked up that hill with him, they had no idea what he was about to do. And then he hops on the father's chariot, looks like Haley's Comet zooming out of, you know, the stratosphere. And all of those folks, it, that's when it struck me. Every single one of those people turned around and began walking down that hill, asking themselves, oh, my goodness, what on earth do we do now? And I don't think they had any clue until about seven days later when the roof started to shake. Mm. In what ways do you present Jesus' life on earth as a journey? Because it's very much a sense I get from reading the stories together that there's a real sense of journey. Oh, that's a good one, too. We start, well, in, we start in the does. throne room of heaven, don't we? And then we, yeah. Well, you talking about his journey or our journey with him? Uh, well, both, really. I'm thinking particularly of Jesus' journey. Well... Yeah, I mean, and granted, I don't know that I've, I don't know that you and I or anybody can can totally know how to rightly think about him because he's he created us and we're finite and all that. But in my mind, I do know that he's the Son of God. He's heir of all things. He up he upholds all things by the word of his power. All authority and power has been given to him. He, I mean, he has eyes of fire whitish hair, you know, sword coming out of his mouth. You know, John tries to write about him and he can't. So anyway, in my mind, he who is the son of God makes a willful choice to humble himself and come here on a rescue mission, which meant he took off his crown, his robe, laid his diadem in the corner, took his ring off, gave it back to his dad to hold for safekeeping. And then takes a Peter Pan out of heaven dressed in a loincloth. And he arrives here in a gooey mess, born to a virgin named Mary, and lives a sinless life uh, privately for 30 years, then three years in public ministry, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and has, since that time has spent 2,000 years in intercession at the right hand of the Father. So that's a little bit of a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And it's well conveyed in your book, too. Um, we're just about running out of time, and we've been having problems with the Zoom line, so um, I'll, I'll start to wrap it up. But just coming back to some of the more general questions, I just want to ask you about about your writing and, and about some of the, the, the times you've, ha you've struggled. Have you ever had to give up on a story or a book? No, I've never given up on a story or a book, but I have changed a little bit of the direction in which I was headed. I thought, for instance, the last novel I wrote, uh, which comes out this coming September. I thought it was headed one direction, and I was pretty well certain that it was. And then after about two months and some writing, I realized it was not headed in that direction. And so I backtracked and kind of rethought it and took about a 15-degree turn and and changed my focus changed. And I don't know how to explain that process other than I did it was not working out, and I could not make it feel the way I wanted it to feel. So... I just kind of deleted it and backed up and started over. Mm. Charles, where can people find you on social media and, and your website particularly? CharlesMartinBooks.com Yeah, and on it, Charles has a, a, a very good blog which um, where he goes into quite a lot of detail about his books and his writing. And um, I, lo I love the way you engage with your audience, Charles, through social media. It's, it's great. And the book from Thomas Nelson in the States is called Son of Man, Retelling the Stories of Jesus. Charles Martin, thank you, sir, for your time. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who take care of, uh, who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Charles, thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for having me. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.